0: Welcome to Christchurch Anglican. We hope that you are blessed by today's sermon. I ask a lot of questions. Can't help it. If I sit down with you, I'm probably going to start asking you questions about everything. And it's just, it's just kind of what I do. Um, and sometimes Mary Jane's like, you ask so many questions. Stop asking questions. But I can't help it. And the reality of it is, is I'm just doing it so I can get to know someone. I'm not trying to set a trap. I'm not trying to do anything to kind of find out your worst sin. But if I do get it, I'll keep it confidential, I promise. <laughs> but but what I'm, I'm really doing it, I just want to get to know you. I just want to get to know your story, what makes you tick, what gets you out of bed in the morning. I, it really is as, as simple as that. But it's really interesting when you begin to ask the question about what your life is like. What the particulars. What does a good life look like? And I really get that when I worked with younger people, with high school students and college students. What is a good life? Some of the answers were noble. Some were not so noble. Um, Most were not so noble. Most were about the things that they wanted. What would qualify as a good life? And the responses are what you would think. Where they went to school. What car they drove what their spouse look like, their house, all of the things of this world that would qualify as a good life. Things that we would define or the world would define as living a good life, of having value, of having merit. And that's great. And it kind of reminds me that we live in a world that kind of lives by that motto, seize the day. Or sometimes, unfortunately, like the old bumper sticker, some of you may remember it, that used to say, "He who dies with the most toys wins." Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to take that to your funeral in your U-Haul, and someone else will <laughs> drive it off and sell it in a garage sale. <laughs> My point is, is that it all seems kind of silly, but it does reflect a philosophy of life that we seem to grab a hold of in our world that values self and temporary happiness. I think the text from Luke gets to the heart of it. It's in this passage today that we see what Jesus is doing. He's teaching about two different kingdoms and the values and characteristics of both, the establishment of a new kingdom and its values and its characteristics and an old kingdom, the kingdom of this world and its values. There are some very similar, this is very similar to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. It is, also called the Beatitudes, and there's some debate whether it is the same sermon or is it another sermon that Jesus taught this message often. There's some differences, there's some similarities. This is much shorter, a much shorter sermon that he speaks to people in. It also, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's on the mountain. This, he comes down off of the mountain. So there's a couple of differences there. In the Sermon on the Mount, which is much longer, it it is a list of the of the beatitudes, of the blessings. This has blessings, but it also has woes and warnings. So there are some differences. And whether it's the same sermon or not, what came out of it was something that we can learn from. In the verses that precede what we are going to talk about today, Jesus has been on the mountain. He's been praying all night. When the sun comes up, he calls together his twelve the ones that are closest to him, and he makes them apostles or sent ones, then he comes down to a level place, comes out of the mountain to a level place to teach. The crowd has come from far away, from as far as Jerusalem in the south and Tyre and Sidon on the Mediterranean coast. They've walked days, maybe 100 miles or so. They've gone a long way to get in front of Jesus. And this is really important to see that as Jesus comes down, this is what he's met with. In short, he started up the mountain to pray, to be with his father. He gathered his friends on the way down the mountainside, and then he engages in his mission at the bottom of the hill. Luke writes this, and this is important. It says, all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out of him and he healed all of them. Jesus doesn't try to get away from the crowd as he, because it's thronging around him. We see that when he's calling his disciples by the lake. And he gets pushed out in the boat away from the shore. But this time he's in the middle of the crowd. And he's sending out healing powers. People touch him. And Jesus doesn't seem to care who's Jewish and who's not. Because if they came from Tyre and Sidon, pretty good chance there were people who were non-Jews. They were right there with him. Just as he stood at the Galilean level place, sending out healing into the crowds, ascribing blessings and woes, will inevitably come as the kingdom of God is made real. If we know and trust Jesus is who he says he is, then we have to understand that Jesus is not here just to teach or just to heal, but he is establishing a new kingdom with new citizens for each which we will become. If he's establishing a new kingdom, then he's ushering out the old kingdom. He's establishing a kingdom that put things in the world of the opposition of the kingdom of God. I'm coming to bring a kingdom, a new kingdom, and replace the old kingdom. Jesus is bringing kingdom that has a different pattern, pattern of values and characteristics, power and product. The characteristics and values of his kingdom are utterly different from the values and the characteristics of this world. As we read this text by worldly standards, if we look at what he says initially, it sounds absurd it turns everything inside out the things that we put value in the things that have merit he immediately turns it around think about it we live in a world that places incredible value on riches food prestige but Jesus says these things are a source of woe and yet he teaches that those who are without any of these things the hungry the poor the weeping, the excluded, they're blessed in this new kingdom. If we look deeper at these blessings and woe, what do all the blessings have in common? They all share a kind of poverty that depends completely on a reliance on God, recognizing that all that sustains us is our relationship with Jesus Christ. What do the woes have in common? Seeking our own satisfaction, living lives where we live for the now of this world. If we look at the pattern, power, and product of the kingdom that Jesus is establishing, first, the pattern of the worldly kingdom is to set values with regard to the world. But in God's kingdom, we are marked by hearts turning toward God and away from the world. As citizens of God's kingdom, we are no longer controlled by the things of this world and the the things that the world thinks are critical. We don't have to be controlled by power and success, comfort, or recognition. They don't drive us, they don't control us any longer if we're citizens of God's kingdom. This is the first mark of somebody who's living in the new kingdom. It's the pattern of our life that we live differently because of our citizenship in God's kingdom. The kingdom of the world, blessedness and laughter go together. If you live in the world, it's always to be happy. Blessedness and weeping can never go together. But in the new kingdom, God's kingdom, they do go together because there's a blessedness that doesn't have to do with our circumstances. Another place that shows this paradox, he says, rejoice and leap for joy in the great day is your reward in heaven. The word blessed means deeply satisfied. Jesus says a citizen of his kingdom is somebody who can weep and still be blessed. The future tense. What it says, rejoice that in that day, what day? The day where you're excluded and left out. Verse 23 is referring to verse 22. How can you rejoice in that day? Because great is your reward in heaven. Is in heaven, not will be. A Christian is somebody who says, I've set my mind not on things below, but on things that are above for my life is hid with God in Christ from Colossians 3.1. A citizen of God's kingdom says, I've lost recognition but I'm famous with God. I'm weeping, but I'm blessed. I'm excluded, but I'm welcomed by God. That's exclusion, but leaping for joy. Because a Christian, as a citizen of God's kingdom, you have the pattern, you're not controlled by the world's values or characteristics. You're living a free life. That's reversal of, God, of the kingdom that stands in the world. When Jesus blesses the poor and hungry and sorrowful and ridiculed, he isn't saying that we should all aspire to poverty, hunger, sorrow, and being verbally abused. He's not saying to go do that. You can't aspire to that. That still makes it a work. He's saying that God is present with us even when the world has abandoned us. What a promise. That God loves us even when everyone else hates us. Is that happening in our world today? We find blessing in seeking... seeking God, being hungry for God, loving the people and the things that God loves. In the kingdom of this world, when Jesus announces woe to those who are rich, who eat well and enjoy fame and admiration from people, he isn't necessarily saying that wealth, good food, and popularity are terrible things in and of themselves. He's saying that when we are focused on satisfying our own appetites, we have turned our attention away from God and our self-centeredness And our brokenness is evidence that we are living in the kingdom of this world. The power of the kingdom of this world is the power of the now. You're laughing now. If you aim for happiness, recognition, acclaim, these things pay off. Now. If the world is all there is, this set of values seems absolutely more... If now is all there really is, think of this. If it's just for living for now, if that's all it is, then that's, I guess, the best way to live. But if the world is all there is, if the world is not all there is, this set of values seems absolutely insane to live just for the now. Jesus says, when you live according to the values of the kingdom of this world, when you're driven By the power of now, because of its results, a word of warning, it's only temporary, it goes away. You may laugh now, but later you'll weep. You may be filled now, but later you'll be empty. If you say that now is all that matters, who knows about eternity or other things? If you build your life on the now, you get results in the now, but the plain fact is things will eventually crumble. If you build your life on beauty, your beauty will fade. If you build your life on the people who love you, they may go away, or eventually all of us will. If you build your life on achievement and power, someday you will be replaced or surpassed. Some, there will be a Michael Jordan who comes and replaces you, who breaks every record that's ever been set. If you live for these things, they are empty. They don't bring life, they consume life. When we seek God, we feel the pain and sorrow God feels for people, who are, for people who are hurting. When we're hungry for God, we want things that God wants. When we live in God's kingdom, we live lives that are filled with generosity of resources and hearts towards others. Please hear this. It's not something we can manufacture. We can't strive to become poor or to receive blessing. It's not transactional and not our work that receives the blessing. It's what Christ did for us on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Jesus is stating how things are now and, and how things will be in the kingdom of God. And where do you want to live? These things we value in this world have no value in God's economy. In God's economy, the only thing that has value is grace. God's economy levels the playing field for everyone quite often, and that's not always comfortable for us because whether we want to admit it or not, we often prefer the way that the world sees us that elevates us, that affirms us. Some of the values that we like are the ones that build us up. It validates all our efforts, the world does, but it's not our efforts that holds value in God's kingdom. It's what was done for us. When Jesus Christ showed up to begin to heal the sick and raise the dead, feed the hungry, and die on a cross, he preached a message of repent, to turn away from our old lives and follow, to be reconciled to God and not slaves of this world. We did all, all this. And all this is true. there cannot be a kingdom of living for myself. We've all done it. And where does it leave us? Rising to the top, doing everything I can for success, doing some charitable things for the poor along the way, and maybe going to church when I feel bad about myself, or I just need to feel better about myself. And you know, m- most of my friends, they're kind of they're of my caliber. These are all things that we at times just pursue because they validate our own brokenness. God's kingdom turns these things upside down. God does not tell us to do all things we want and just come to me if you need me. It's not a lucky charm. It's not a rabbit's foot of faith. It's a God that wants us to rely completely on him. But God's kingdom is only the way because Jesus Christ did live on the earth and he did touch lepers, giving himself to the poor. And he died on a cross. And he came as a poor man. And he rode into town on a borrowed donkey, eating his last meal in a borrowed room, being buried in a borrowed tomb, and giving up everything of where he came from as the king and the creator. What else can we learn about God's kingdom? I want to take us back finally to verse 20, and Jesus looked up at his disciples. And this is why I think it may be a different sermon, but it, it, at least a different message of the way it was received. But he looks up at his disciples, his disciples, his followers. He looks up into our eyes to know us. He sees us, and he made, he was teaching eye to eye and telling them about the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of this world, God sees us, whether we're rich or poor, and Christ names your poverty or your wealth for what it is. Jesus isn't encouraging you to get rich or become poor. Jesus is inviting you to put everything at his disposal and follow him. He sees you. He knows you, the real you, the you of your heart, not the good face you put on that others will think well of you. God sees you and wants to bless you. There isn't anything you can do to change that. Nothing you can do to make God's love love you less. Nothing you can do to make God love you more as a follower, as a citizen of his. We don't earn it. We don't lose it. God won't give up on you. Whether you've been a believer all your life or you're broken and you're longing to be made whole, Christ pronounces God's blessing on you. Please know that this doesn't mean you won't struggle. Of course you will. We all do. We live in a broken world. But it does mean you can live through whatever struggle life brings you, knowing Christ is with you, and your reward is great in heaven. People who live in the old kingdom look at troubles and difficulties and say, my life is meaningless. I have no worth. However, citizens of God's kingdom know that when they're poor, Weeping, an enemy, the kingdom of God is near. This is another way in which this upside down, inside out kingdom says strength is weakness and weakness is strength. When have you really come to know yourself? Oftentimes it's when we're the most broken and we turn to God. What is your life marked by? Is it the kingdom that celebrates all that you've accomplished or attained? And can you ever get off that treadmill? Or is it a kingdom that celebrates the one who lives, the one who came to walk among us and was without sin, who lived and died on a cross and raised from the dead? Does it celebrate that or does it celebrate, do you live in a kingdom that celebrates just you? Throughout Luke's gospel, the emphasis is God is with us. Jesus stands on a level plane with us showing us God's kingdom in the middle of all of our chaos, in the middle of all the people that have crowded around him, in the middle of our need for healing. There are only a couple of questions that I'll leave you with. Will you accept or reject this amazing grace and stay stuck in this kingdom of the world that's fading? Or will you decide and choose to live as a citizen? in the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.